Hello, I'm Sophia Peterson. And I'm Lucas Meyerly, and this is War News Radio. On August 1st, Facebook announced that it had removed a network of what it called coordinated inauthentic behavior from its platform. The network was based in Egypt and the United Arab Emirates, and it targeted users in several Middle Eastern and African countries. The apparent purpose of the operation had been to promote Egyptian and Emirati interests abroad. To that end, it created 102 Facebook pages, with a total of 13.7 million followers among them, and it spent over $167,000 on advertisements. Among the countries targeted by this network was Sudan. A cartoon posted by Sudan Today, one of the inauthentic pages, portrayed a righteous crowd chasing agents of Iran and the Muslim Brotherhood. The caption accused the fleeing men of seeking chaos, destruction, rioting, terrorist values, and extremism. Both foreign and domestic actors have been spreading disinformation on social media since before the April ouster of Sudan's longtime dictator Omar al-Bashir. During the mass protests that preceded al-Bashir's removal, for instance, Sudan's National Intelligence and Security Service posted videos of forced confessions by alleged Darfuri militants. In truth, the militants were ordinary students, but the government was determined to associate the protests with violence and insurgency. Since then, Sudan's propaganda problem hasn't gone away. In fact, it has mutated into something even worse. Egypt, the UAE, Saudi Arabia, and aspiring autocrats within Sudan are abusing social media to further their objectives in the country, and the ongoing transition to democracy may not survive their efforts. To get at the heart of online propaganda campaigns in Sudan, however, we have to understand their background. We need to back up to the widespread popular calls for democracy that led to al-Bashir's removal. It was a very much of a national struggle. Often these uh, pro-democracy struggles against uh, autocratic regimes, these civil insurrections, tend to be centered primarily in the capital. And it's often led by middle-class students and intellectuals, you know, sometimes industrial workers, are in the mix as well. That's Stephen Zunis, a professor of politics and international studies at the University of San Francisco, and a leading scholar of U.S. Middle East policy and strategic nonviolent action. What was remarkable about Sudan was that it went well beyond Khartoum and Omdurman, you know, the, the twin cities that are in the you know, center of the country where the capital is, where, where the largest concentration of population is, but, you know, spread throughout the entire country, including war-ravaged Darfur. And it was also uh, it, it was also a cross class kind of phenomenon. You had you had peasants, you had, had workers, you had uh, um, you know, the poor along with the uh, more affluent. We also spoke to a Sudanese immigrant living in the Philadelphia area, where he helps organize local protests for democracy in Sudan. So my name is Abdul Mohsen Noshendek. Uh, I'm basically um, uh, basically a first immigrant uh, from Sudan, my family that came to the United States. Um, uh, and also, um, I've been living here for the past for the past 18 years now. Abdul gave us his own perspective on the recent protests and the current state of Sudan's politics, including the role of a notorious general, Muhammad Hamdan Dagalo, commonly known as Hameti. You know, it's basically like basically in Sudan we call it like a deep state because there is still the leftover of that dictatorship is still running the country. When the government was using it, so 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 the government when the government saw that the people are very active on those social media, they start they start to sort of get like recruit you know young generation 
into their site so they can start to post the fake news. However, it didn't work because the population of the revolution starts to grow even bigger. And then, um, and then, and then basically the government lost. However, right now, since we mentioned that there is a deep state still exists in that country, uh, for example, we have we have a general. His name is Hamedti. This general, he is one of the products of the dictatorship. Uh, he is actually like rebranded his forces by because his forces used to be named Hajanjaweed. The Hajanjaweed is is basically are basically the one that did uh, did a genocide in Darfur and killed almost like half a million there and displaced maybe three to four million people, and they were rebranded in a different name. Their general, his name is Hamati. And this guy is being packed by countries like Saudi Arabia, UAE, Egypt, where they don't like democracy to be spread in that area because that is sort of like it's going to threat uh, basically their government as well. So in order to prevent that from happening, they are funding him with money, weapons, you name it. Professor Zunas noted that many national democracy movements are opposed by external powers, and Sudan's is no different. Outside support can make a huge difference. Uh, it was the invasion by Saudi and Emirati forces that crushed the pro-democracy movement in Bahrain. It was um, uh, U.S. support for the Honduran coup uh, in 2009-2010 in that helped crush the uh, pro-democracy uh, movement there. Uh, and and certainly the uh, the Russians and, and and others, you know, have have backed uh, their autocratic allies. There is someone behind uh, Hemeti that moving him, and you know what is basically you know, driving Hemeti is the money. He's getting ton of funds from Saudi Arabia. I'm talking about billions of dollars. Uh, he's getting funds from Saudi Arabia and also at the UAE. Egypt is giving him a lot of the strategic support where. Saudi Arabia and UAE are funding him. So when you get those three, and you have also backed by Al Bashir's uh, uh, you know, regime there, uh, you know, basically as well, that that puts him in the middle, makes him the man that everyone go to. And social media enters the picture in Hameti's efforts to improve his popular reputation. According to Abdul, he hasn't been entirely successful. Basically, he's trying to polish his image, his situation to be uh, the next president of Sudan. For example, uh, like recently we have like issue with uh, transportation in Sudan. People are really having a hard time uh, to get like a transportation over their time. So people start to, uh, to use the hashtag, uh, like, if you are going this way, can you carry two people with you? Okay. So this committee, like what he did is this. He like he used the same car that he was carrying soldiers, right? That that did massacre in June third of two thousand nineteen. He used the same car to say, "Listen, um, the Hemeti general did order uh, that we support the Sudanese people with their transportation in these difficult times." So here we go. So he using that to sort of like try basically trying to change the image or to spin a positive thing for the Sudanese people. However, when you read the comments on this post, for example, like this, people would say, like, for example, we will never forget. We will 
never forget. So this is a good example of he's using the social media to communicate with the public. However, public is replying back saying that, listen, we didn't forget what you did. This capacity for spreading and entrenching public awareness of states' abuses makes social media a potent tool for protest movements. But Professor Zunas noted that repressive governments can also find value in platforms like Facebook. Where you know, social media and the internet has come in handy is uh, less in terms of mobilization, but in terms of exposing abuses and getting you know the word out of the you know the the, the torture in the prisons and you know, protesters are killed and the government saying oh the police are just defending themselves. You know, they can show video of uh, nonviolent people being gunned down. Uh, and, and so that, that, that certainly helped in a lot of ways. But uh, it's, it's always been a contested space. I mean, there, back in, uh, in uh, uh, 2011, when there was uh, one of a number of the unsuccessful uh, pro-democracy uprisings in Sudan, uh, uh, we're out on Facebook that pro-democracy demonstrators need to gather at this particular place in Khartoum for a demonstration, and a bunch of people went down there at that time, and and ends up that this um, announcement was actually done by the government, and they were waiting there, and they ended up rounding a bunch of people up. So you know, it, it's um, it's a double-edged sword there. The double-edged sword is still cutting both ways in Sudan. On the one hand, Facebook and other social media have formed the backbone of the current protest movement. One can argue that the whole Sudanese revolution has been uh, uh, kind of instructed or uh, uh, moderated by the Sudanese professional association Facebook page. This is Mohamed Salman. Like Abdul, he was born in Sudan and now lives in the U.S. He's an engineer, but he also writes about the intersection of technology and politics in his native country. People in Sudan rely mainly on Facebook uh, to understand reality. Online organization has proven quite effective for the Sudanese protest movement and has resulted in tangible offline action. Mohammed told us that public protests are typically organized over Facebook. But, on the other hand, agents of foreign powers, as well as figures like Hamedi seeking power within Sudan, are exercising increasing influence over the social media sphere. Mohammed was blunt about Facebook's role in the rise of Hamedi and his Rapid Support Forces, or RSF. We have uh, sent a uh, petition to Facebook to remove the RSF militia pages. They did not respond to us. And it's very, very risky, Facebook uh, giving an opportunity to RSF militia to use this uh, for spread fake news. It is very dangerous and uh, when we see, I'm, I'm sure uh, within one year we'll have, we'll see a military coup. Facebook will be the, uh, the platform that has facilitated this military coup. Facebook will be blamed for that. Facebook will take the full responsibility in that coup. Abdul, however, sees Sudan's future in a very different light. I'm actually very hopeful of, 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 of the Sudanese people and actually the country in general. Actually, I was just recently there and I just, um, so there is this long lines of to get the bread out of the bakery and I'm standing there and, and I was like, oh my God, I mean, 45 minutes just to get like 20 pieces of the bread. And basically, I'm talking to myself like this. And those Sudanese who are standing in front of me, they're laughing, they're joking, and waiting to spend their time talking. And then this guy telling me behind me, like, hey, listen, just relax, be patient. You're, you know, your turn is going to be coming in, so don't worry about it. And I'm thinking, here I am, I live in Philadelphia, I go to Walmart, I don't even, I, I don't even 
like second guess what kind of a bread I'm gonna get. I usually I don't even look at those sort of like a bread, right? I just put it in my cart and I just go on for my rest of my shopping. Basically, they think, listen, we waited 50 years and 30 years under Al Bashir's rule. I think we are okay. We can wait. A, we can wait a little bit, and then we are very sure that it's gonna be a better day ahead of us. War News Radio is a production of Swarthmore College. This piece was produced by Miles Dyke, Ross Layden, Lucas Meyerly. That's me. And me, Sophia Peterson. For more from War News Radio, find us on Facebook or Twitter, or visit our website at warnewsradio.org. Thanks for listening.